This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Roundup. Today on the Roundup, the reign of Mike Madigan comes to an end. Former House Speaker Mike Madigan is leaving Springfield altogether. Governor Pritzker gives his state of the state. As all of our families have had to make hard choices over the last year, so too does state government. And businesses start to ramp up as COVID-19 vaccines get into more arms. The city is expanding indoor dining limits starting today. Indoor dining will now be allowed at up to 40% capacity or 50 people, whichever is fewer. We'll take you inside those stories and more with WBEZ's Dave McKinney and WTTW's Heather Sharon. Dave, Heather, welcome to you both, but let's jump right in with the Madigan story. One month after resigning the speakership, Madigan announced he's leaving the House seat he's held for five decades. Dave, what happened here? In a way, it was sort of predictable. We just didn't know when it was going to happen. I mean, when he lost his uh, bid to, to be speaker for a 19th term last month, it struck people as, as just a matter of time before he decided to hang up his spikes. I mean, he held this House seat for 50 years uh, for, for the southwest side area that's surrounding Midway Airport. You know, and he, he issued a statement that laid out, uh, you know, a list of accomplishments over those 50 years and, and talked about being the target of, in his words, vicious attacks by people who sought to diminish his accomplishments. And, and so there was, there was that flavor of it. But this, one of the lines in, in his uh, statement yesterday that stood out to me was how, you know, he felt at peace with this decision. And, of course, uh, hanging over his head right now is fallout from the Commonwealth Edison bribery investigation that is still very active uh, coming out of the U.S. Attorney's Office. So, you know, that, that a lot of people are, are mindful of that and wondering what the next shoe to drop on that is going to be. Well, Heather, what was your reaction? Did you ever think that you would see this day? I did not. Keep in mind that uh, there has been Michael Madigan in the Illinois House my entire life, and he's been speaker for most of that time. And, you know, it was one of the immutable truths of Illinois politics that governors could come and go. Some would end up in jail. Some would be defeated at the ballot box. But Michael Madigan would endure. And that is no longer the case. So this is really a new era, full stop for Illinois politics. And it's going to be fascinating to watch it develop. Well, Dave, even though he was no longer House Speaker, there's no getting around that he still wielded a, a significant amount of influence, right? So now with him stepping down, could there be a power vacuum in Springfield? Well, I mean, Sasha, I think that's inevitable. I mean, just think of the institutional memory that walks out the door with Michael Madigan. I mean, in a career that, you know, undoubtedly involved casting tens of thousands of votes and shaping uh, Illinois law in every imaginable way, 
you know, he, he's no longer there. And so what you have now is a successor in Emmanuel Chris Welch, a Democrat from Hillside, who, uh, he, while he's been a, a lawmaker now for, you know, a respectable amount of time, you know, this leadership thing for him is a new thing. And, and you look at the other legislative leaders in the Senate, Senate Republicans have a new leader this session in the, uh, the Senate Democratic Caucus, Don Harmon, the Senate president. He's, he's relatively new in his post. And so you have a lot of inexperienced people uh, in the legislative uh, leader's position. I mean, Jim Durkin is now the, the veteran, in, uh, the House Republican, uh, the minority leader. So there's just a lot of institutional memory that walked out the door with Mike Madigan. And I think, uh, you know, right now, that puts Governor Pritzker kind of in a position now where he's sort of the, the top dog, if you will, uh, in terms of trying to get things through and, and, and managing all of this. I think that the question is, what does the next era of Illinois politics look like? And I think that part of Madigan's institutional memory that, you know, now Speaker Welsh and other lawmakers can't take advantage of is the ability to make the sausage. And he relentlessly did that behind the scenes. You know, this is a man who famously doesn't have a cell phone. He doesn't use email. This is not somebody who was one of those politicians who burns up Dave's phone and my phone to talk about what they're working on and, you know, is trying to get in front of the camera. So his legacy, I think, will be in his ability to get those hot button pieces of legislation through the Illinois House. And Speaker Welsh will be judged on whether he can do that at the same level, which is a very, very high bar. And it will open the door for, as I said, that progressive group of lawmakers who at times felt stymied by Madigan's iron grip on the caucus, who were very frustrated that they couldn't get the, for example, the rent control bill to the floor for a vote and other pieces of legislation. So there are a lot of challenges looming. Well, let's turn now to another story out of Springfield. Governor J.B. Pritzker gave his State of the State address this week, and he laid out his proposed $41 billion budget for Illinois. Dave, what were a couple of the main takeaways that people should know? First and foremost, uh, after the defeat of his graduated income tax amendment in November, there is not a plan here to increase income taxes. That was something that I think Republicans were bracing for and predicting, and there were even hints of that. Uh, in, in the race for Illinois Speaker. I mean, I, there, there was a point in time, I believe, in December where Speaker Madigan appearing before the, the Black Caucus said, look, if the governor is behind a tax increase this session, I'll help him pass it. So there, there was really kind of a question, will he do that? And the answer is he won't. But by and large, this is a this is sort of a steady as she goes, low drama kind of budget. I mean, the only controversy I mean, there were there were elements of controversy, but you know the the uh, ending nearly a billion dollars in corporate tax credits that that got Republicans riled. I mean, keeping education funding static that got some members of the the Democratic caucus a little bit up in arms. But but by and large, this is something that I think will probably go through without a whole lot of trouble this spring. And of course, the the one wild card out of all of it is that right now in Washington there are talks uh, surrounding President Biden's 1.9 trillion dollar. COVID relief package. And in that is money for state and local government. And it's projected that Illinois, under the plan that's now being formulated in the House, could get up to $7.5 billion. And if that money comes in, you know, that's certainly going to take a lot of the financial pressure off of state government here for Pritzker as he goes into re-election mode, possibly. This budget is probably best understood 
as sort of a let's just get through COVID budget. The vaccines are rolling out and hopefully the economy will pick up. And I think the governor is hoping to perhaps hold his breath and get to re-election without having to make lawmakers take tough tax hike votes, even though the state really in the long run, in the big picture, still is in a precarious financial position. That's WTTW's Heather Sharon. Also with us this week on The Roundup is WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney. Dave, Heather, there's plenty more big news to cover, so let's get into some of these stories. The city is expanding indoor dining limits. The statewide seven-day coronavirus positivity rate in Illinois is now down to 2.7%, the lowest since July 9th. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot is getting backlash for spending more than $281 million of federal COVID-19 relief money on the Chicago Police Department. One pot of money that could have been used for small business support for housing relief for our neighbors to help prevent violence in our communities. That's what we're talking about. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot got her second dose of the vaccine this morning. Afterwards, she and Dr. Allison Arwoody gave an update on both vaccinations and infections in the city. Uh, Heather, what did we learn? Well, we learned that white Chicagoans are still being vaccinated at a faster rate than Black and Latino Chicagoans, although as we've talked about, uh, Black and Latino Chicagoans are more likely to get COVID and suffer severe, severe illness and of course die. However, the mayor took pains to say that it is improving and they released new data that showed that 18% of those who've been vaccinated by this point are Latino and 19% are black, um, which is an improvement of about 10% over the first round uh, of the first phase of the effort, which just included healthcare workers and long-term care uh, facility residents. So she was pleased and she called it a breakthrough, but there's no doubt a lot of work to be done to get the vaccine, not only to the people who want it, but also to convince those who might be reluctant based on a whole host of historical wrongs and systemic racism in the medical system that they they have to be convinced that the vaccine is safe and it's something that they, they should get. So there's still a lot of work to be done, but the mayor really wanted to emphasize that progress is being made because, of course, she has promised to vaccinate with an eye on equity, putting those most vulnerable at the front of the line. Well, Dave, on a state level, uh, Governor Pritzker this week quite passionately defended his administration's handling of the pandemic in Illinois. And then he went on the attack on Republican lawmakers that he said have thrown obstacles in his way. So what's his criticism and how is it affecting the COVID response at the state level? During his budget speech, I mean, we really saw kind of this uh, veering off into, you know, a section dealing just with the Republican haranguing, I guess you could say, about his his efforts. I mean, look, in a re-election campaign, Pritzker is going to be judged in his handling of the pandemic. There's no question about it. We've seen nationally Republicans, you know, trying to, to use this issue of, of uh, getting, you know, reopening schools against Democrats. So, you know, I think there's heightened political sensitivity about the question of how he's handled the pandemic. During the speech, he singled out Republicans for, as he said, encouraging businesses to defy health guidelines, spreading conspiracy theories about COVID deaths, and fighting mask guidelines, including, you know, going to court here in Illinois to try to do that. The line he used that stood out in the speech was, in essence, they eliminated the fire department, burnt down the house, and poured gas on the flames, and now they're asking why we're not doing more to prevent fires. So I think it was a little bit of just 
you know, trying to frame their arguments in a way that Republicans are not in Illinois helping, you know, advance the cause of, of getting rid of this pandemic. Republicans, of course, would disagree with that. But in terms of the overall state response so far, I mean, I think the biggest knock is, as it is in every other state, demand is outpacing supply here. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, that's the one area that Pritzker wishes he had more control over. But that's a a function of the federal government. And the amount of vaccinations the state is getting on a weekly basis has been steadily growing. And I think he's predicting next week that Illinois is in line for a half million doses. So, I mean, it's slow and methodical and happening. Um, and then one other thing about his his uh, overall handling of this is that, you know, he, he mentioned there never was a situation where hospitals could not meet capacity. You know, there were enough ventilators. So he feels as if the state has, has really kind of gotten over the, the hump a little bit with this. Still more work to do. But, yeah, Republicans were on the the uh, you know, they were on the firing line here a little bit in his budget speech. Well, Heather, I want to stick with COVID news for, for just another moment, because uh, the city announced this week that it's expanding indoor dining at bars and restaurants. So they can now operate at 40 percent of their normal capacity or no more than 50 people. What do you take away from this? Does Chicago have enough of a lid on the virus that we can safely just loosen restrictions like that? Well, it's clear that there has been a significant amount of progress made in reducing the spread of the virus in recent weeks. And uh, there are fewer than 400 cases per day on a seven-day rolling average in Chicago, and the test positivity right now is is 3.6%. Typically, experts say if that figure is below 5%, it shows that there is good control of the virus. So that is all reassuring metrics. However, the last time that Chicago was in a similar place in the pandemic was early October. So what did the city do? Well, the city loosened rules on indoor dining and indoor drinking. (laughs) And what happened? Well, we were off to the races toward the second wave of the pandemic, which was really deadly for a lot of people. Now, do I have a crystal ball handy? Do I know that we're headed towards another wave? I, of course, do not. I, you know, have that on back order. I'm told it's coming anytime. But it, it should be something that people keep in mind that it is a possibility. And it's why you hear Mayor Lightfoot and Dr. Allison. And Arwady, the commissioner of the Department of Public Health, saying, keep washing your hands, keep wearing your masks, keep maintaining your social distancing, because this pandemic we've seen can really flip on a dime. And uh, that could have really profound uh, implications for the city and businesses. Another story this week, Heather, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's facing criticism from activists and aldermen over how she handled federal COVID-19 relief funds. The city spent more than $281 million in federal dollars on the Chicago Police Department. What can you tell us about that? Well, this was from the pot of money that the city got when Congress approved what's been called the CARES Act. So this was the massive federal relief package. In all, Chicago got $1.2 billion, and a portion of that money was earmarked for use to be reimbursed for personnel costs. And so the city submitted $281 million to the federal government from the police department saying, this is what it cost us to respond to the pandemic with our police department. Now, all of that money was budgeted before. So it was essentially just shifting the burden from those costs from the city's taxpayers to federal taxpayers. And what was upsetting to activists and progressive aldermen was that same pot of money could have been used for other purposes. It could have been used 
to help people pay their rent or businesses stay afloat. And they just did not want that money to go to the police department. However, this was really a debate that they waged and lost back in June. There were nine aldermen who voted against spending this money under the mayor's authority and they voted no because they didn't want any of it to be used to reimburse the police department and that was just the first of what has been many fights over how the police department should be funded at what level it should be funded and whether there is a way to change the systematic problems with policing in chicago by Mm -hmm. reducing the police department's budget mayor lightfoot has said that she will not allow that to happen and this is going to be an argument that we're going to see continuing for many months mayor lightfoot pushed back on this sort of criticism you know criticism comes with the job of mayor um, but this one's just dumb and here's why So the federal government came to cities like Chicago and said, we will provide you with reimbursable funds for monies that were spent in response to COVID-19. So we saved taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars by saying yes to the federal government. So should we have said no? No, 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 no federal government will incur this expense. We'll put this burden entirely on city of Chicago taxpayers and you can take your money elsewhere. That would be foolish. And of course, we didn't do that. Dave, talk about the reaction we're seeing at City Hall. Will there be any sort of reckoning over this issue? It's a good question. I mean, this is is a a volatile issue. It seems like Mayor Lightfoot is sort of taking incoming from all directions. And, you know, I think this is another problem she doesn't need, but it's something we've not seen, you know, we've not seen the end of it yet. One last story that I want to touch on, and that's a story Heather reported on uh, about the city flagging 41, quote unquote, problematic statues. And statues and monuments have become something of a contentious issue in this uh, racial justice movement that we're seeing, especially lately. So can you, Heather, bring us up to speed? first of all, on on what's going on? Well, this was really prompted by the mayor's decision to remove the Columbus statues in Grant Park and Ariago Park when they became really a flashpoint for debate over what sort of public monuments the city should recognize. And the 41 monuments flagged by the commission, some of them made sense. Um, If you've ever been on Michigan Avenue, right at the Art Institute, the entrance of Grant Park, there's a very large statue of, of a Native American throwing a spear. And the commission said that it was really a sensationalistic depiction of the Native American. So that, they said, was obviously problematic. But what all of the headlines across the country were was that the commission also flagged statues of four presidents, including five statues of Abraham Lincoln throughout the city. And there were many people who were really, frankly, offended by that because, of course, it was Abraham Lincoln who kept the Union together in the Civil War and who signed the Emancipation Proclamation ending slavery in America. But this is a debate that we're going to see continue for very many months. It's not clear what will happen to these quote-unquote problematic monuments or statues. And people have until April to weigh in on what they think should happen. And they can go to the website at chicagomonuments.org to participate in the public process that will, I think the mayor hopes, serve as a way to sort of sort through these issues in a collective way without resorting to 
protests or violence or name calling, but people feel very, very strongly about these yeah. monuments and statues. Well, before I let you both go, briefly tell us what stories you're, you're watching over the next few weeks. Dave, you first. Well, I mean, the first thing is, uh, you know, back on the U.S. attorney here in Chicago, the top federal prosecutor, as is the case with all the prosecutors, the U.S. attorneys around the country, was asked by the Biden administration to submit resignations effective at the end of this month. And so, you know, there's some question about what John Lausch's status is going to be moving forward. So that's issue one. The other part is, you know, we're going to be cranking up the General Assembly here before long, probably, you know, beginning in the month of March. It's going to be interesting to see kind of how, you know, some of these ideas that Pritzker laid out in his budget speech evolve, you know, starting with his budget, starting with ethics reform, starting with whether uh, there's a a big utility omnibus. So those are the things that I've kind of got on my front burner. And you, Heather? Well, we've got a full city council meeting on Wednesday where this debate over how to spend the next round of COVID-19 relief funds will come to a boil. On that agenda, it's expected to be a plan to use $80 million from the package signed by former President Trump in December to help people pay rent and to stay in their homes during the pandemic. That will be a big debate. There are also several high-profile police misconduct settlements that the city council will consider next week, including including $400,000 for a woman whose son was killed by police while he was suffering a mental health episode, a story that I know that WBEZ and WTTW has reported on all too often in recent years. That's WTTW politics reporter Heather Sharon and WBEZ politics reporter Dave McKinney. Thanks to you both. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Sasha Ann. That's WBEZ's weekly news roundup. Want more conversations and deep dives like this one? Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. And if you take less than a minute to give us a rating and review, lots of other people will be able to find us. Don't miss the best COVID-related Q&A on the radio featuring Dr. Mia Teramina. That drops into this feed Sunday morning. The weekly news roundup is brought to you by WBEZ's Reset Team. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.